Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Yeah. I let Coach Sumlin, yeah. I let the stoop. The entire first half, we got hit in the mouth and acted like somebody took our lunch money, and all we wanted to do was have pouty expressions on our face. Hello and welcome to the Around the Twelve podcast. My name is Tanner Price, and I'm here with my co-host Greg Hawkert. Greg, uh, we got something a little special for the listeners today. You want to tell them what we got? Yeah, we're really excited to have Dustin Ragusa of the Feels Like Forty Five podcast on. The Feels Like Forty Five podcast is an Oklahoma State sports podcast covering everything from football to basketball, baseball, softball, every sport. Um, but Dustin uh, has a lot of knowledge, especially about uh, football. And we really, really dive into it with him uh, in this episode and look at uh, the upcoming Oklahoma State football season. Yeah, for sure. Well, we will get into the interview now, and then we'll see you guys on the flip side. And now we welcome Dustin Ragusa onto the podcast. Dustin, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, wouldn't, would you mind telling us, uh, well, you're, you're a host of the Feels Like... 45 podcast um when would you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast and what you guys cover yeah for sure so feels like 45 we're an oklahoma state podcast that uh has to do with the year that oklahoma state won football and basketball national championship <laughs> so we went with the 1945 we started it uh, a couple football seasons ago uh my co-host Cade webb and i we'd worked together before both writing for Cowboys Ride for Free, the SB Nation site. So it's just an Oklahoma State-based podcast. During football season, we try to focus on football. We do some X's and O's stuff on Twitter. We like to put out some film breakdowns, film study. And then in the offseason, we'll cover the spring sports. We'll do basketball, recruiting. It's just kind of all-encompassing Oklahoma State sports with a primarily football focus. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you kind of, you kind of mentioned you got how you got into it, but you guys, and you also slightly mentioned that you cover the X's and O's, but you do a great job of getting really, really in depth into that. How, like, how did you, how did you learn that? Or where did you learn that from? Yeah. So I, I've always been huge football fan. I, I played growing up, but not competitively. I honestly wasn't very good playing through high school and stuff like that, but I got really into it a little bit after college. I read uh, The Art of Smart Football by Chris B. Brown and Take Your Eye Off the Wall by Pat Kerwin. Just was fascinated by both of those books. I would recommend them to anybody that wants to get into football film study X's and O's as kind of two starting points. And then just kind of went from there following people on Twitter. Now, even on Instagram, people are putting film study stuff out, YouTube, I, I've just been always really into it. Uh, you know, my, our, my friend Adam Lunt, who did the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, he's taught me a few things, given me some people to follow on Twitter and things like that. But just kind of tried to learn as much as I can, read books about X's and O's and kind of gotten me to this spot. But I still have a ton to learn, but I appreciate you guys saying those nice things about it. So, Oh, of course. No, we're both big fans. And uh, speaking of of OSU, so... You're from Louisiana and and you ended up at Oklahoma State. So how did how did how did that happen? Yes. Yeah, so my uh we moved from Baton Rouge to I'd lived there my whole life. Um and we moved to Oklahoma City in the middle of high school. 
So I was pretty emo mad about that, you know, <laughs> 15, 16 years old, having to move in high school. So leave all my friends and oh, most of my family lives there as well. My mom and dad are both from Louisiana. Originally we moved. I was uh, at Deer Creek high school is where I finished high school in Oklahoma city in the Edmond area. And all the friends I made, I really liked. I made friends, you know, through playing sports, things like that. They all were going to Oklahoma State, and I randomly had a distant cousin at Oklahoma State who was a few years older than me. His parents lived in Edmond, so he took me up there one time, went up there a few times with my friends, uh, You know, ended up joining a fraternity there. It, it really was down to Oklahoma State and LSU, down to kind of the last deadline, because that's where my parents went. I still had in-state tuition there along with having in-state tuition at Oklahoma state. And I just ended up picking Oklahoma state to do something different, kind of stay in Oklahoma, be close family, but not, you know, not too close, not too far away. I ended up really enjoying it. I don't regret it at all. I still am in contact with a lot of my friends from Baton Rouge. I try to go back as much as I can. So I, I don't think I, I don't regret it one way or the other. Although I love LSU. I love Louisiana state university. I, I think uh, I made the right choice. Well, it's it's rare Oklahoma State wins a recruiting battle over LSU, so we're glad you uh, we're yeah, glad you made that. I decision. think I'm a zero star though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. Well, um, all right, let's let's go ahead and jump into uh, some some football questions. So Greg and I basically, uh, for our listeners, just came up with some football and basketball questions because uh, Dustin is is very very good at coming up with stuff like coming up with really good answers to some of these questions. So. Um, just, just generally, Dustin, how are you feeling about the upcoming football season for Oklahoma state? And, you know, it's, it's tough as you guys know, being Oklahoma state fans as well, going in to this season with all the transfers out with how last season ended on the losing streak, it's really tough to get a gauge on how this team is going to perform. I was actually able though, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before to attend practice, I got to stay for the whole thing. It was really cool. I got to do that a couple of years ago as well. It's it's awesome. I really appreciate getting to do that every now and then. But it made me a little bit more comfortable about the team because I think not so much that I think they're going to win the Big 12 next year, but it answered questions for me, both positive and negative. You know, for example, positive-wise, I thought Alan Bowman looked really good. I, I know we'll probably get into him a little bit more, but I liked what I saw from him. Him being at Michigan, not playing for two seasons. I was a little worried if he was going to be able to knock that rust off. thought he looked really solid. I, you know, not no knock at Garrett Rangel. I thought he looked good as well, but then some other things, you know, I thought the second string offensive line, I thought they got pretty, pretty well handled by the second string defensive line. So things like that, you know, offensive line depth, there's still some question marks there. Quarterback. Maybe I like what we have going into the season. So overall, I think I'm more comfortable, but I don't know if that means I'm thinking I, I, I'm increasing the win total that much. And I know we're going to talk some about wins, loss, floor, ceiling, but I just wanted to kind of get that out there about what happened at that practice. So, no, yeah, that's that's awesome that you're able to attend the practice too. And I know it's been a a semi hot topic between OSU fans debating. Uh, whether or not it's a good or bad thing that there is no spring game. Uh, and so <laughs> Oklahoma State fans and Big Troll fans have not been able to get a glimpse at this Oklahoma State team that did lose 20-plus players, including a lot of key starters last year, into the portal and then also got 15 to 20 players from the portal, uh, including quarterback Alan Bowman. Uh, so 
going off that ceiling floor uh, conversation that you were talking about, I guess, what is your right now? I, we know it's April uh, and <laughs> we might have some more questions answered come fall practice and summer practice, things of that nature. What, what are you setting like the over under win total at and, and what is your ceiling and floor for this team? If I had to set, if I was going to set the over underline, I'd probably set it at eight. I, I know I'm seeing a lot. I've seen some Vegas lines out there that are like six and a half. I'm going to go, you know, I, I drink a little bit of orange Kool-Aid, so I'm going to go a little bit higher. I think I said nine wins on the podcast, so I would go over that. But when you're talking about it, I feel like you almost have to be a little bit negative with the floor. And let me know if you guys disagree with that, but because there's so many new guys, I mean, the fact that so many receivers left, so many guys just overall on the team left Spencer Sanders, the guy who's been running this offense and the main catalyst of this offense for the past several seasons, isn't here anymore. We saw what the running game looked like last year. It struggled. All they added was Elijah Collins, who I think is a really good back. He looked good in that practice, but the running game was pretty poor last year. So it needs to get better things. On the, I, I think the defense is going to be fine overall. I really like coach Nardo. But, you know, all those factors kind of taken in. I think six wins squeaking into a bowl game is probably the floor. But personally, I think I'm more in that eight, nine win range, especially after after getting to watch that practice. And I, I know I keep going back to that. I'm not trying to like flex or anything. I just <laughs> being able to actually see after all these kind of question marks that we, that you've alluded to in that last question made me a little bit more comfortable. And I think I feel pretty good about that eight, nine range. Yeah, <clears throat> I I would say that that would be, I would think just for Vegas to make their money, that that line will be set at like seven and a half to get that hook in there. Um, I, I I could see OSU potentially not making a bowl game if the quarterback situation just doesn't doesn't get figured out or if Alan right. Bowman gets hurt because he's had some injury history, but freak injury. Yeah, I mean, that's history. a great point. I think I think if 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 Oklahoma State ends up in that eight to nine win total column and the losses aren't the type of losses that they saw last year, like losing by yeah. like getting shut out in Manhattan, uh, getting embarrassed in in Norman, those types of losses. I think that if they're fighting and if they're they're in some of those games, even if they end up in that eight eight or nine win total column, I think that's still considered a pretty successful season in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree and. Like you, like you guys pointed out with the schedule, not the hardest non-con, even though I think that South Alabama game is going to be a little sneaky, scary. They actually had a pretty good team last year. Luckily, that is obviously at home. But yeah, the non-con with three wins, you get KU at home. Not saying KU is a bad team. We saw what Lance Leipold has done with that program. But you get KU at home. You get Cincinnati at home. They lose Luke Fickle. You get BU at home. Iowa State on the road, I think, is winnable. West Virginia on the road is winnable. I think I mean, was that eight that I just listed off. You get Houston, who I I think definitely took a step down last season, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Which their defensive coordinators a lot of a lot of people wanted Oklahoma State to go after him, Doug Belk, when they took Derek Mason, and I think they took a step back on defense last season. So I'm not saying they're going to win all of those games, but I think I just rattled off eight or nine right there that are definitely winnable games. So I think that's why you've got to put. The ceiling somewhere at the eight or nine, but but to your point, Tanner, I think the floor probably is barely making a bowl game. So I, I agree with you guys. Yeah, I gosh, there's when Greg and I did our uh, schedule drop 
like when the schedule came out from the Big 12, we did say that Oklahoma State probably had one of the easier schedules in the Big 12. And just like you just like you listed out there. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a mix of like O-line depth, like you're talking about um, how the quarterbacks play. It's it's obviously uh, football is more than one player as 100 percent. For sure. For sure. Um, Okay, so. Oh, gosh, I just moved our questions. Okay, Uh, so going off of that ceiling and floor, um, where would you slot Oklahoma State in in the rest of the Big 12? So let's say they go eight and four, nine and three. I think based on last year's standings, I'd have to go double check, but I think that put them in like third or fourth in the conference because I'm saying they're winning all the non-cons, so they would have been five and four, six and three in conference. I think fourth, fourth-ish is probably realistic. I know that kind of drops my nine wins probably down in the eight range, but I think that eight, eight and four, five and four in conference in that four, five range-ish, I think would probably be. But you know, you see a lot of these polls, these preseason polls coming out, and they're much lower than that. So I'm obviously a little bit over optimistic and you know, I, I'll admit to that. I admit to that on my own podcast. So you got to take my my response, I think, with the greatest salt a little bit. Where, I mean, yeah. where do you guys see them kind of falling? I, I would say somewhere similar. I think you saw Kansas State make the Big 12 championship at 9-3 and three last year, but, of course, one of those losses they had was to Tulane, which was out of conference. So, And, and right. their conference record was – what would that have made them – is that 6-2? and 7-2, and two, I'm sorry. Yeah, 7-2, um, yeah, so yeah, and, and TCU was – were they they were undefeated in conference, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They ran the table. Yeah. So I, I could see them in that same range as well. I think that if I think that a, if they get a lot of production off it, like if the run game we saw last year, and I, and Dustin, you probably know the, the answer to this, but they were probably averaging like 3.3, 3.4 yards of carry running the ball somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. Yeah. If they bump that up, I know Gundy's always talked about his his mark is like 4.2, 4.3. If they if they can get closer to four and Ollie Gordon and Elijah Collins and and I know they've talked about uh even Jaden Nixon as a third down back. Um, if that run game becomes a, above average and then Alan Bowman is the Alan Bowman we saw at Texas Tech three or four years ago. I think then you could really see them, especially with the more favorable schedule. I don't think it's a weak schedule because I don't think any schedule in the Big 12 is weak. Um, right. But I think with the more favorable schedule, uh, you could see them in that nine and three range. And then that would what put them at third, probably at best. Yeah. Yeah. I could I could see probably sixth through third. Uh, obviously. If I'm drinking my orange Kool-Aid, I could see him at first every year, but <laughs> but that's just <laughs> that's just me. Um, yeah, see, that's what I gotta I gotta like pep talk myself before every podcast and be like, don't say anything like too positive. No one's gonna <laughs> listen anymore. I think for the most part, we can take Vegas's line though and up it by a game or two normally because yeah, o- Oklahoma State's usually one of the more profitable teams to bet on. Um, if, if yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's. Aside from last season, that line going over on that line has been a winning bet, I believe, in recent years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every time I've looked. So I want to say, like, out of the last decade, it's been like eight, eight or so years we've gone over the win total. So 
Yeah. Sorry, excuse me, Oklahoma State. <laughs> um, <laughs> we try to avoid saying that we. That's 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 safe. Yeah. Tanner and I's one-on-one conversation. So, <laughs> so I have a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> so uh, going down, not necessarily uh, depth chart wise, but uh, whether it be a transfer or a returning starter, who do you view as the X factor on both offense and defense heading into the season? I think on offense, I don't. I'll probably give a couple because I think the first one, you guys probably know where I'm going. I think it's Alan Bowman. I, I don't know. You're losing Spencer Sanders. He was your offense a season ago. I mean, we saw what happened when you have to go down to true freshman Garrett Rangel or Gunnar Gundy. You don't have the dynamic ability of a Spencer Sanders out there. He was the catalyst in your run game, your passing game. He made everything kind of click. And I know he had his issues. I know there's things that, he wasn't amazing at, but for Oklahoma State's offense, he was the X factor. So I think it's got to be Alan Bowman. You got to be able to see what he can do. Tanner, to your earlier point, can he stay healthy? You know, he's had, I think, the ankle, the shoulder, the lungs. It's It's been a lot of crazy injuries. Obviously, he stayed healthy at Michigan, but I think he got a total of like 20 snaps or something like that in those two seasons. So I think he's kind of the main X factor. But I think after that, if we're going to stick on health and kind of what happened last season, I think you got to look at the offensive line and where I think you've got to look specifically is left tackle. Is it going to be Cole Birmingham? So Caleb Etienne left in the transfer portal. I don't think that's a huge loss overall for the starting unit. I do think it's a huge loss for depth because Caleb Etienne knows the offense. He's been here. We know he can play. I didn't think he was one of the better linemen. I know People bring up the PFF grading him as one of the worst offensive linemen, but trust me, PFF's grading, I use it in some of my breakdowns, but it's pretty wacky at times. <laughs> they don't really give any analysis. It's all kind of numbers in there. So I, I would take that with a grain of salt. I didn't think he was that bad. But is Cole Birmingham your left tackle? Or when Dalton Cooper, the Texas State transfer, when he comes back, he was he missed the spring, some plantar fasciitis in his foot. He was in a boot. When he comes back, do you put him at left tackle? Do you move Cole Birmingham to right tackle? Do you have Jake Springfield and Dalton Cooper playing? And then Cole Birmingham's your sixth man, your swing lineman who can play guard and tackle. I think you got to figure out that left tackle spot. And if you get better play at left tackle going into next season, because Caleb Etienne, I thought was a terrible run blocker. I thought he did okay in pass protection. He's a big, big body to get behind. And not terrible all the time. Terrible on a whole because I just didn't think the effort was there always. If you go back and watch, and maybe, you know, I, I can't speak for him mentally, but it didn't look like the effort was there. You've got Preston Wilson back healthy. He had both ankles hurt last year. I don't know how you can play offensive line with both ankles hurt. Jason Brooks, another year in the offense. Joe Mahalski at center, who we know can play both guard and center. So if you can figure out left tackle, if Dalton Cooper's the guy there, I really like the first team offensive line. And if you can run the football behind these guys that you guys point earlier, that could change the whole dynamic of this team and the whole, you know, ceiling of the wins and losses. I agree with that. And I think with Oklahoma state's, uh, I guess you could say the lack of, of good fortune in the offensive line uh, injury department, these last, God, seemed like three or four years. I mean, you have to wonder if you just randomly scratched off two starters on the offensive line. Could you could you have a makeshift five with two two of your backups 
and put that in there and have them be a successful offensive line? I think that would be my question. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then other than that, like we had, gosh, again, Oklahoma state had uh, two, I want to say offensive linemen transfer in and then not play it down last year. Um, So that, that's another thing is if you're counting on that depth, but like we're seeing with Dalton Cooper, like he's, he's injured right now, but he'll be hopefully healthy by the start of the season. But if you're counting on this depth that's signed, but then can't play like, what or you, didn't, what? They, I think they, the two or, of them left the school too. Yeah. So they, they never showed up on campus. So what, yeah. like as a program, what are you supposed to do there? So, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know if you guys remember or saw my, I did a Twitter thread shortly after the season ended about all of the starting offensive line units in the Big 12 game one of last season and who, how many total snaps they started of offensive line snaps. And everybody was in like the 90, 80% range, except for Oklahoma State, who was like 71%. And, you know, I you don't want to blame that. And I know people get mad at Gundy and Casey Dunn in their media interviews when they just blame the injuries. That's, I mean, that's some data that just kind of shows you that Oklahoma State had a really unlucky season last season as far as offensive line health goes. But I think that's a great point from you guys. You want to have at least seven. You'd love to have eight, but you want to have seven offensive linemen. I think it helps to have Taylor Materko, even though I personally, I know on the Feels Like 45 podcast, I didn't always have the nice things to say about Taylor Materko. I do think he's a solid depth piece who has a lot of experience at guard. And then if Dalton Cooper starts and you move Cole Birmingham back to the twos, then, I mean, Cole Birmingham's definitely a solid depth piece. If you move Jake Springfield back, he might have been the best overall offensive lineman on the team last year that maybe because he was the only one that wasn't really injured but still there's seven guys right there so i do think the offensive line as a whole at this point is looking good going into this season i i think i think i agree with that as well and we we both listen and read robert allen's stuff and so um yeah, it, it, they've at least had multiple units being able to roll in there. I know that was an issue last year, yeah, so sure. it looked a lot better. Um, but going off of a point you brought up earlier about a lot of uh, fans and even media members getting upset with Gundy and Casey Dunn, what are what are your opinions on uh, not not for Gundy because I think as we all three of us know, Gundy's kind of almost an untouchable. But when it comes mm-hmm. to maybe assistant coaches, coordinators, do you view anyone uh, on the hot seat this year? I don't know if there's I don't know how hot the seat is right now, but if you have another season where you talked about, you know, the yards per game for the ru- for the running game, if it's anywhere near that, if they can't run the ball and it leads to losses because you're having to throw the ball every play, if I mean, if Alan Bowman's having to throw the ball like 50 times a game because you can't run the ball, then I think you do have to evaluate Charlie Dickey, the offensive line coach, and Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator, at the end of the season. I'm not saying it has to be fire them if that happens right away or fire both of them, but something's got to change because Coach Gundy has said he's going into this season making some scheme changes. I saw it at practice, saw a lot more gap stuff, still a ton of zone, but a lot more gap stuff than we've seen I think it'll probably be, you know, closer to 60, 70% zone, 30, 40% gap. Whereas last year it was like 95% zone, 5% gap. But they're making this change. So Coach Gundy has got involved and he's making a change. If it doesn't work, then I think the next place you look is the coaches, right? I don't, 
I don't know what else she can do. If Coach Gundy's coming in, he's becoming more hands-on. He calls himself a CEO. He's actually getting involved in the scheme heavily or letting us know that even as fans. So if, if that doesn't improve... I think you almost have to take a look at one of those guys and maybe even, maybe even you throw Waz in there, the running back coach. I, I know he's had, had some good hits in recruiting. And I really like Waz. He's had some good recruiting hits. He hasn't had some great ones recently. You know, they got Rodney Fields in the upcoming 2024 class, but you see, I think you got to look at one of those guys. I mean, do you, do you guys agree with that? I think so. I personally was a little surprised they didn't make any changes after last off season. Um, I know when you go on Twitter, it's like, everyone's got their source and everyone's uh, everyone's reporting something, but I was a little bit surprised. However, now that we've had a full spring and, and all the practices are not completed, I'm less surprised because of the amount of, like you mentioned, the scheme changes they've made and Gundy being more hands-on. I think that it makes sense. And I want, as an Oklahoma state fan, I would like to see uh, I, I don't want anyone to get fired. I want to see what it looks like next year. And if there are at least improvements made, I, I don't have any issues with it personally. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think we, we, when we hop on this podcast, we like to uh, like talk about the good things in people um, just, just because everyone's, everyone's a person and we don't want to see people lose their jobs, lose their livelihoods. Um, but it is a job. So you have to you have to like weigh that out and balance that. I think hot yeah. seat hot seat is the perfect term. Um just they need to know that there's a there's a chance, but I think that also pushes people to perform. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you you can't have another season with that kind of rushing performance. And you can't have another season where you go on a five game losing streak to end the season either. So I definitely think if anything from last season kind of replicates itself again this year, some somebody's got to be held accountable. Yes, 100%. So you've talked about Alan Bowman quite a bit. Is there any shot he's not QB1 come September? I don't think so. I, I just, I, I thought, you know, everybody, the media, the coaches, they're trying to make it sound like a QB battle. And I completely get why they're doing that. Garrett Rangel has shown he's a leader. I thought he looked really good in practice. One of the things that kind of shocked me watching a ton of his high school film was seeing him play and not being very accurate. He looked pretty accurate in this practice. Again, it was only one practice I got to see. He looks like he's kind of starting to figure out where those second and third options are and getting the ball to them a little bit more quickly. But Alan Bowman's ability to kind of get the ball out quick to the right spot, showing you he can read the defense pre-snap, the command he already has over this offense, only being there for a spring, being able to look off that first option and being able to come back to the middle of the field and make a throw to a second or third option, which is something Spencer Sanders was very, very timid about doing. We know, I mean, he would throw to the first read over the middle if it was open, but for him to come back off his first read, say that's to the sideline, a corner, a go, and out to the side and come back to the middle of the field and make a throw, he was very timid about doing that. Bowman is not. He will fire that ball in there in the middle of all the defenders and it'll be completed. I saw him do it like three or four times in that practice. So it's it's just the overall, I think, mental aspect. And then ability-wise, I think, you know, Garrett Rangel, Zane Flores are guys that maybe have higher have higher ceilings than Bowman. But I think for next season, I I would be shocked. It, it would it would have to be injury related in my 
opinion for him not to roll out there in the first game and take the first snap at QB. Yeah, I I I don't disagree with that. I think maybe in in some of the non-con games there could be a chance for uh Rangel or Flores to get a couple snaps, but I Yeah. I see Bowman as QB1. Yeah, I don't think he I don't think he tra- I mean he's got one year of eligibility left. I don't think he transfers here if obviously no one's going to guarantee someone like that a job, but if there's not a, you know, high likelihood that he'll end up as the starter, I I don't think he transfers here, transfers to Oklahoma State in the in the first place. Now on the other side, I don't know. I don't think I don't expect this to happen because I actually think he's going to play really well. But if he were to perform poorly, I don't know how long his leash would be because you've got a guy like Garrett Rangel. So that is one thing to consider. It's not something I actually. That's the first time I even really thought about it. Was talking to you guys just now, but because I, like I said, I think he's going to be solid. But if if he were to you know have a game where he throws four interceptions or something like that. If he comes back the next game and doesn't have a turnaround performance, I could see Rangel getting a shot in the middle of the season, later in the season. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I actually have a question for you. One of the, your your comment about um, Rangel's accuracy not being there, do you think last year that was due to a couple things? One, him being a freshman. Two, playing behind an offensive line that was, as we've, that's like kind of been a theme throughout this podcast was that the offensive line was really poor last year. Do you think that the accuracy issues were due to some of those extenuating circumstances? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, in high school, he's able to get out of the pocket kind of whenever he wants, because he's an athletic guy. He's not Spencer Sanders, but he's, he's quicker, I think, and more athletic than Bowman is. He was able to get out the pocket quickly, kind of open things up for himself. It's a little bit harder at college going up against better athletes on the defensive side of the ball. To your point, not having a lot of time. And the thing about it is I think everything you're saying is correct because a lot of these routes, that first read is the timing route with the wide receiver. So it's not as many reps with these guys, even though he did have the spring, summer and fall to go through it's still only one of those. And the second thing is, if he's getting pressured quickly, he's going to be throwing a little bit off balance. Even if it is a timing route, he's maybe not going to get it right to the mark. I think the thing that shocked me a little bit was something I liked from him in high school was his touch on some of the deep balls. And even that wasn't really there, but you could chalk that up to kind of working with those receivers timing, figuring out where they're going to get to by the time he throws the ball. So all good points. And I think that played a lot into it. So I still think he's a guy that's going to compete with Zane Flores next season for the one spot. Like I don't think it's Flores job by any means because Rangel had has shown improvement from last season to what I saw in this practice. And he definitely has taken over as a vocal leader. That's great to hear as an Oklahoma State fan. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, switching a little bit over from quarterback to running back, what, so Oklahoma State returns Ollie Gordon, who's a freshman last year, will be uh, a a sophomore. I don't know how the years work anymore. I don't know how many games he played in. I believe he'll be a sophomore this year. Yeah, he should be true sophomore. And then got Elijah Collins, transferred from Michigan State. And then they also returned Jaden Nixon. Um, what does that running back room look like coming into the season? And what do you think the, uh, the how, how do you think the shares uh, of carries will be divided up? Yeah, so here's kind of the thing with the running back room. Because I know on our podcast, I didn't talk a ton about it after practice. And it wasn't because 
they looked bad. No one really popped out. I was able to go to practice a couple of years ago, and that was the first time I saw Jalen Warren. That was before he played a game for Oklahoma State. He stood out in that practice. I mean, I don't consider myself like a football guru by any means or anything like that. And at the end of that practice, I couldn't stop talking about Jalen Warren. So that didn't happen at this practice with the running backs. But one kind of positive, whether you saw practice or not, is going into last season, they had C.J. Brown, zero carries, true freshman. Ollie Gordon, zero carries, true freshman. Jaden Nixon had 14 carries in his career, college career. Zach Middleton had five. DeAndre Jackson had the eligibility issues where he couldn't play at the beginning of the season anyway, but he had three carries at AM. And then Dom Richardson, 123. You're coming into this season with Collins, who's had almost 400 carries in his Michigan State career. You got Ollie Gordon with 62. DeAndre Jackson now has 35. And Nixon's got 60. And they've all got a ton of the game experience now from last season. So I think the ex- just overall, that experience factor going into this season is a positive. Even if None of them improved at all. Just having that experience, I think, helps. If you were to ask me right now, based off that practice, how I thought the carries were going to break out, though, like percentage-wise, I'd probably say like an Ollie Gordon 45, Collins 35, Nixon 20. But I could see one of those guys separating themselves as we move throughout the season. Because who knows, if, if this offensive line starts blocking zone better, maybe we don't run the gap. I mean, maybe they try it out for a few games, but maybe they go back to zone. And Elijah Collins is a really good zone scheme running back. So if they stick on zone because Collins is killing it out there, then maybe he takes over as the main guy. If the gap stuff stuff's working and Ollie is just beast mode going like hitting that hole, bashing through guys and getting to the second, third level, maybe they go to Ollie more. I do think 20%, if you were to watch last season for Nixon, sounds high because they really didn't give him the ball that much. I think they want to use him this year. I think they want a second and long third down running back that they can trot out there because Nixon has shown he can pass protect. So he's not a liability there, even though he's a smaller guy. And this is a guy who is one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy on the team. So you got to figure out a way to get the ball in his hands. Yeah. Could you, could you see Oklahoma state going with like a two running back set next year? I know they most of the time do like one running back, one tight end. Um, but could you see a two running back set? I I hope so. I definitely could see it. I thought that's what they were going to do last year. I think the DeAndre Jackson eligibility issues messed them up a little bit there. I think they wanted to use him a little bit more early in the season. Not saying that would have helped because I think obviously this year he's he probably isn't cracking this top three. But after those eligibility issues happened, you had Dom Nixon and true freshman Ollie Gordon, like I was alluding to earlier. So it was almost like Gundy probably didn't want to because we know how he feels sometimes about playing true freshman. This season, with that more experience, I think they'll I think they should do it. Again, I've got to see it to believe it because we haven't really seen Oklahoma State go with kind of a two-headed or even three-headed monster attack like some other teams do. I mean, Notre Dame, who we played in the Fiesta Bowl, they did that all season. They actually gave it to their third running back a lot, who I think had a ton of carries in that bowl game. So I I hope they do. I think they will, but they haven't done it recently. So that's my only kind of, you know, pause there on, on saying for certainty. It'll be interesting to see if they do. Cause I think now that, you know, assuming Alan Bowman is the starter, he does 
he does not have that same speed and uh, elusiveness as a Spencer Sanders. So last year, like, yeah, they weren't going into two running back sets, but I mean, how many times in the red zone were they running the speed option just off the tackle? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You've got to make that up somewhere. You've got to account for Spencer Sanders running ability in your run game, because if you take that away from last year, the running game looks even worse. So you've got to account for that somewhere. That's yeah. a good call. Greg. No, I agree. So I, I guess briefly switching to the other side of the ball, what are your initial thoughts of uh, Coach Nardo, the new defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State? I love Coach Nardo. I don't know if I, I'm sure you guys did watch his uh, OSU Max interview or his media session that he had recently. He just seems like an awesome guy. Uh, I was able to go back and watch. I did a Twitter thread on him for, for, from Emporia State and from Gannon. I like the defense. I've always liked John Haycock's defense at Iowa State. So that kind of three-three odd stack, how, however you want to label it. I know, I know, commonly it's referred to as three-three-five, but with that. Big middle safety, rover safety. I think Kendall Daniel is going to fit in really well well there. I think kind of the catalyst is going to be, is Justin Kirkland the real deal at nose tackle? And how much of a drop-off is it going to Iman Oates and Colin Clay at that position? Because you need a solid nose tackle in this defense to clog up the middle. It's one of the key positions along with that rover safety that I alluded to. I thought Kirkland looked really good in practice. I think he's looked good in all of the clips that have been shown. He dominates the offensive lineman, which, you know, makes me feel negative sometimes about the offensive lineman, but we're not talking offensive line. Someone, right now, someone's so. got to lose in practice. So, <laughs> <laughs> But if Kirkland's the real deal, I love the defensive backs line. I like the starting linebackers. I think they've got a couple depth pieces. I'm a little worried about the depth there, just since you're running three guys out there now on every down in, in that three linebacker look, but the guys seem to really like Nardo. I was surprised with how th- there didn't seem to be any missed assignments. And obviously I probably, I probably missed one, but there didn't seem to be any missed assignments And the way that the defense was kind of moving to their spots Everybody, the linebackers, defensive backs, guys like Xavier Benson, who I know you guys probably agree at times last year looked like he didn't really know what he was doing. And that could be some on the defensive line, some on him being new, coming from the junior college level. But he looked like he knew what he was doing. Everybody was getting to their spots, making tackles. So I think they bought into what Coach Nardo was doing. The only thing is, as he installs more, more blitz packages, more coverages, are they going to be able to kind of keep all that as kind of sound as I saw in that practice, because it is, again, the first year they're learning it. And not that it's way different from Knowles and Mason's defenses, but it is different. And they just done the simple install so far. So I liked what I saw. I like the pieces that they have. I think the safeties could be the best safety group in the big 12, one of the best, if not the best. So I'm really excited to see Daniels Rawls and Rucker out there. That's great to hear. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm interested to, uh, to see what the defense looks like. We, I, I was following along with your guys' podcast, like where, where are the defensive linemen? Where are they? Where are they? And then, uh, and then this hiring of coach Nardo comes out and then it's like, oh, we're, they're switching yeah, to a three, three, five. That's that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause going into the transfer portal and everything, it's like, are they not going to go get any more defensive linemen? It's like, oh, okay, well, they're probably only going to run with three, and they're going to take that Sam linebacker and use him as a stand-up edge sometimes, and they've got 
you know, a Colin Oliver, Donovan Stevens and Nick Wright, they could use there. So yeah, it's a great point. I, I really like Kirkland. I like Goodlow, Walter Scheid, you know, he's never really popped for me positively, but neither negatively. He just kind of does his job out there. So I like Walter Scheid. Latou at practice, his arms looked like, I mean, it's not like he gained more weight, but he looked like he was like practicing for a bodybuilding competition or something. <laughs> he looked huge. Then they've got Ross, Deshaun Brown, a guy I've always been high on, high on out of Choctaw in Oklahoma. Aiden Kelly, if he can if he can come back from that shoulder injury. I mentioned the Iman Oates, Jaleel Johnson even. And then Isamon Hunley, who's been on the team now for a while, he was getting some reps in there with the twos, a guy I've always liked. It's going to be interesting. It's not super experienced, especially on Oklahoma State's team with guys like Goodlow and Kirkland, these new guys coming in. But I think they have a chance to be solid, but it all kind of comes down to that nose tackle position. Yeah, for sure. Well, that is great information on football. Um, personally, I love football, but I'm I'm more of a basketball guy. Uh, it's just my my sport. That's what I played growing up. Um, so you guys in your podcast, you guys cover you're heavy on football, but you you also cover basketball as, as oh, like yeah, for the sure. Prompt, prompt, like one one A is football, and then one B is basketball. Um, yeah. So Oklahoma State basketball, we've we've seen a lot of guys transferring out basically all of the centers and power forwards. Um, Who do you think Oklahoma state is targeting on that end? At the big spot, Kate and I were talking about this yesterday on the podcast. I kind of wish there were more guys and let me know if you guys agree that we've seen them show interest on that are big guys because with Smith and CSA both leaving and, you know, that athletic article comes out and it sounds like I know coach Boynton wasn't specifically just talking about Woody Newton and CSA. He's talking about the NCAA as a whole in some of these comments, but it sounds like he and CSA may not be on the best of terms right now. So I doubt he's going to come back. Maybe you could talk a Tyreek Smith into coming back, but the only guy I've really seen him linked to recently is that Yaren Hassan from UConn who I think played in like 11 minutes total last season. He's like a 6'9", 205 guy. Got multiple years of eligibility left, but I think they need to get more big guys. There's a lot out there in the portal. I mean, if I'm missing somebody, you guys correct me, but I haven't seen them really linked to anybody at that true five spot. No, I haven't either. I think based on, and we'll have you maybe touch on him a little bit, but based on the commitment they got in Javon Small from Eastern Carolina, uh, and then their freshman class coming in. Obviously, we still have a couple of guys up in the air from last year's team uh, as to whether or not they'll be returning. It seems to me as if they might be, it might look polar opposite from last year and, and the last few years. Cause you've got, you had your Caleb Boone and you had your Musa Cisse who are true fives. They might be going more small ball, positionless basketball, for lack of a better term, uh, into this next season, trying to solve some of that scoring and spacing that they experienced uh, was one of their bigger weaknesses, I would say, um, from the last two seasons. Yeah, it's a great point because one of the guys they're targeting right now is kind of like that stretch four spot. A guy, you we were talking about him off air, Seamus Lukosius from, from Butler, He's he's only six seven, but he's two hundred and twenty five pounds. And I don't know if you guys have watched any of his film. He's pretty thick, thirty eight percent from three on quite a few attempts. 
He visited Cincy, visited Oklahoma State. We haven't really heard much either way. I know Cincinnati only had a couple spots open, and they just recently got a commit from Kentucky. They're kind of different players. He's more like a 6'3 guard. But if they're if they're trying to get anybody else, you know, they only have that one spot left, I think. Maybe that bodes well for Oklahoma State. But I think if you get Seamus from Butler, that takes care of a little bit of the shooting. I still think you would want more shooting. They've got small. And to your point, if they're going to go more positionless, maybe you just need a guy like Hassan, just another big body like Akuma to have just in case. But I still think you would want maybe a semi-experienced big because if Garrison needs a little bit of time to get ready or God forbid he gets injured, you don't really have anybody, anybody big. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I do think they're going to try to get one of those kind of six, seven rangy dudes that, you know, like not, not a Keon Williams exactly, but you know, the guys I'm talking about like that Glenn Taylor jr. From Oregon state, Trey white from USC. They haven't shown interest in Greg Glenn, the third from Michigan, but I know point was like his first offer out of high school. I think with how many of those guys we've seen them linked to, I do think they want to take one of those, maybe not shooters, but maybe a does it, does it all type guy. So to your point, maybe that's who they're expecting to play at the four, but I still do think they want at least one other big, like one other big bodied center type, just in case there's an injury. Yeah, I would, I would hope so. Just, just as a fan, you would, you'd like to see some depth. I mean, it's five freshmen, Bryce Thompson, John Michael Wright, and Javon small, basically, I think it's, pretty much it just more more depth anywhere would be would be nice to have um yeah absolutely i i think that you i mean and this is i get a little bit lost on their scholarship count especially due to the ncaa ban but dustin how many players do you think they are not targeting but how many players do you think that they want to add before uh before the summer or even before the fall I believe they still have four spots even after signing small because after Smith left, I think that opened up another one. So it's either three or four. I'm pretty sure it's four. Kate and I were talking about this last night, but here's my thing. And tell me what you guys think on this. I know they have to take that one scholarship reduction in the next two years, but if you're coach Boynton and you, and and right now we don't know because he's only taken the one guy so far in small, but if he sees three or four other guys, say it's, say it's three, is the limit to get them all the way to 13. If he sees three other guys that he likes that he thinks he can play and get them to the NCAA tournament, if you're him, do you not do it and just worry about the scholarship production next year? Because if he doesn't make the tourney this year and they have a season like they did this past season, record-wise, I would think his seat's getting pretty hot. I know we're... It's pretty steamy. So I think I would, I think I would worry about getting who I think can help me get to the tournament this year. And if I have to take that scholarship production next year, I'll just figure it out then. I mean, what are you guys thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, if I'm coach Boynton, uh, selfishly, I'm not taking the reduction this year. You got to put all your chips on the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's time. It's getting close to time. I know, um, you can make lots of, of good, honestly, really good excuses in his favor. Um, you can make the scholarship production excuse. You can make the postseason ban excuse. You could 
There's there's plenty of them out there, but it's it's time. Yeah, yeah I, I completely think it, agree. Yeah, you've got. I think he's got. You know, I, I don't want to put a year on on how how much time he's got left, but if you're him, especially with the way you've seen uh, the transfer portal just blow up in all sports, but especially football and basketball, you want to add. I think you want to get to that scholarship limit this year, if you can, if it makes sense. And then next year, I mean, you've got a large freshman class coming in right now, and I don't think they have anyone committed for 2024. So you're probably going to lose just going off averages one, maybe two of these freshmen to the transfer portal. I mean, I mean, that's just kind of like you're, I'm not hoping for that. I'm not wishing that, but I think maybe one of those guys ends up transferring just due to the fact, Oh, I don't see myself playing here, whatever it may be. Uh, and so then, then if, if, you know, uh, I mean, we're talking way out, uh, you know, a year and a half from now, but then at that point, I think you take the scholarship reduction. Yeah. And, and it sucks to think this way, but to your point about, about somebody leaving, if Boyne's able to get these guys in, make the tournament next year, maybe he has to have that tough conversation. Cause you know, it goes both ways. The players can leave whenever they want. Sometimes the co- I mean, he's not going to kick them out, but be like, Hey man, you're probably not going to ever see the floor here. We're going to have to take a scholarship reduction. Do you mind? I'll do my best to help you move somewhere else. But you, I mean, that's always an option. I think he would prefer doing that no matter how hard that is over making the, t- and, and try to make the tournament this year, because I think his job's on the line and maybe it's not, maybe Chad Weiberg doesn't have that exact, maybe he's not there yet, but I think he's close. If you were to have another season like you did this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it's, it's not going to be obviously like what we're seeing with uh, coach prime at Colorado right now. Cause that's, <laughs> that's a whole yeah, other mess, yeah. but that's the wrong way to do it. But and I mean, maybe pokes with a purpose comes through or or whatever whatever happens there. But yeah, I think if you're Coach Boynton, you have to push off that scholarship reduction one more year and try to try to get it done this year. Well, um, kind of speaking of the incoming freshman class, what are your what are your expectations of them this year? I think Garrison and Daly are guys you can play right away. I, I know Daly's still got a lot of things I think he can work on in his game. I think Garrison maybe a little bit more polished. These are both guys that were thinking about maybe going the pro route and not even going to college. I think they're both really talented players. I love, you know, Daly's left-handed. Love that. I think he's a guy you could maybe even play at that stretch four spot. If you're going positionless, he's got a pretty decently sized body right now. I'm sure he'll get bigger as he gets into college. I don't think either of them are going to have, you know, a Cade Cunningham like freshman season or anything like that. I'm not that high on them, but I think they're both guys that can play, but I think they'll have some growing pains. Uh, Keller McBride and Dow. I like all three of those guys a lot. I think if one of them was going to play next year, heavy minutes, maybe you think Dow, if they're not able to land any more shooters, say they miss on Seamus and they land a Trey white or somebody like that. And another big, and, you know, a couple other players like White, like a Glenn Taylor, you know, I don't know why they would take both those guys, but let's just say they do. You need some more shooting. You could throw Dow out there. I don't know if he's ready yet, but he's a guy I can see playing. Now, depending on how the transfer portal shakes out, and if they do take that scholarship production this year, maybe you have to play all three of those guys. Who knows? But I feel most confident in Garrison and Daly kind of 
being able to play and provide you good, efficient minutes. Yeah. I No, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that if you got to throw someone like Dow out there, I mean – Hopefully he's standing in the corner ready to shoot. I mean, he's gonna do what he's gonna do what Tanner and I did in high school. He's just ready to shoot and don't mess up on defense. Three and D, man. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, that's that's good. Well, um, Dustin, do you do you have any other like things that you want to like spout off about? You need to get on a soapbox here for a minute or anything. <laughs> I think I think the only thing is I would just I would stay positive with cowgirl softball. I think that I think the bats are going to come back to life. They're really not even dead. They're just not hitting the ball into the open areas. But I think softball, I don't think obviously they can't win the Big 12. I don't think now, but I think they'll be fine. Baseball's coming back into form, so if there's any big cowboy baseball or softball fans, I I still think they can make some waves in the postseason. But other than that, guys, I want to say thanks. Obviously, thanks for having me on. Love the pod. Love that you guys keep me updated on the Big 12 transfer portal. I know in some recent episodes, you guys have been hitting that pretty hard. Love that. So keep doing it. Keep killing it. And thanks so much for listening to Cade and I's podcast. Uh, I know he would echo the same. Well, yeah, we we thank thank you for coming on. It's it's kind of like I'm kind of like fangirling over this. This is <laughs> this is really cool. I'm, I was really excited. But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your great insight into Oklahoma State Athletics. Yeah, we we're we're really hoping to uh to really have on some more um you know other Big Twelve podcasts. I, I know you guys did actually something similar to that, more yeah. just football yeah, focused uh last summer. Uh but just Tanner and I've been talking and in, in, in these um, you know, we love ba- baseball and softball, but in the more uh months where sports aren't as, you know, all gas, no breaks, having uh we're we're trying to reach the big 12 and, and that's difficult to do when uh there's now w- what are we at 14 schools for for one more year <laughs> so it's hard to break down to the level of knowledge that you have about oklahoma state every single big 12 school so we really appreciate your 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 knowledge and your uh insider insider information from that from the practice you were at <laughs> yeah for sure yeah I, i'm happy to come back anytime thanks guys so much and you guys have a good one thanks you too and we are back. That was a fantastic interview we had with Dustin Ragusa. He provided a lot of really, really great information for us. Uh, went pretty deep into football. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun, and we're very grateful that he came on the podcast for us. I'm uh, pretty optimistic now for Oklahoma State's upcoming football season. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we we really appreciate Dustin coming on. Uh, the practice he was able to attend was. Uh, was something pretty cool that actually Tanner and I had no idea about really before we had him on. Uh, so he really got to get a look at kind of what the depth chart may look like, broke down. We spent a lot of time on the offensive line, which if uh, we have any OSU fans listening, which I, I hope we do, uh, OSU fans know that's been a huge, huge struggle the last two to three seasons um, and, and a catalyst for uh, many of the struggles that uh, OSU has had. Um in the games that they've lost. So uh, we were able to break down the offensive line, incoming transfer quarterback Alan Bowman, who will more than likely be the starter, and yeah, it was a good time. Yes, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And hopefully we will have Dustin on in the future. That's, that's kind of a goal. Around this time every year, we'll probably have uh, similar people on uh, next year and for all the years to come. But if you guys did hang around this long, which I hope you did, um, 
next week we will be back to regular scheduled programming um we'll we'll get back into some of the basketball transfer portal there's been quite a bit of news there as well as some some football stuff that we would like to get into so we thank you guys we love you goodbye